0: From the Salvation Army, welcome to the Holiness Podcast with Lieutenant Colonel Vern Jewett. In this monthly Bible study, we'll be exploring God's gift of holiness, which is offered to every Christian. To download this month's study guide, visit us at salvationarmysoundcast.org slash holiness. This is Vern Jewett, and I want to welcome you to the Holiness Podcast. Now, my voice this month is a little raspy. There's a lot of things in the air in South Florida, and I apologize for that. But maybe as we get going along, it will clear up, and I hope it's uh, clear enough for you to hear and understand. And I hope this finds you well and happy in the Lord. Last month, we uh, began a two-part series, and the lesson last month was entitled Grace sin, and holiness, and their relationship to one another. The focus of this two-part series is to bring a consciousness of sin into the picture for Christians in their daily living. Holy living we saw last time was seen to involve both resisting sin and embracing God's grace. In fact, that's a decision with two aspects to it that we make over and over again every day. We finished by making this assertion last month. It takes courage to see the truth about ourselves. But only as we know our sin can we know His holiness. Only as we realize our inner bankruptcy can we experience His fullness. Only as we acknowledge our weakness can we discover His power. And only as we confess the depth of our sin can we realize the height of His grace. This lesson, lesson number two in this series, is entitled, Sanctifying Grace, Conquers sin. Every one of those words is important, as we will see once we get into the lesson. But I want to read as our launching passage. It's not going to be our text in the way we usually exposit the text and dig deeply into a particular text. But it is going to be a statement of of the subject matter and a clear connection between conquering sin and sanctifying grace. It's found in Romans, the sixth chapter, and it's verses 11 to 14. I'm reading from the New International Version. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Because you are not under law, but under grace. I want us together today to explore and better understand the way sanctifying grace conquers sin. Millions of Christians today are seemingly unaware of holiness and sin in their conscious daily living. Despite the fact that those two teachings are among the most prominent themes in the New Testament. That reality, I believe, points to two great failures of the church today. The first is the failure to teach about the existential threat of sin to a Christian's life. The second is a failure to teach about the power of God's sanctifying grace to enable us to live holy lives. In January of 2016, Dr. Jonathan Raymond wrote an insightful article in the Salvation Army War Cry on Holy Living. Dr. Raymond is a lifelong member of the Salvation Army. He's the President Emeritus of Trinity Western University and a holiness teacher of note. His words can be a fitting introduction to our study today. He writes, As we are cleansed from sin, God's grace makes possible our new life in Christ. We are saved by the justifying grace of God and experience His initially sanctifying grace. Sadly, too often the journey comes to a halt. People saved from sin get busy in the church. If salvation means getting saved from sin in order to go to heaven, then faith becomes a bus stop religion. There is no further progression. We remain immature and underdeveloped as we wait for God's glory bus to heaven. Carnality reigns as we become victims of old habits. We surrender to temptation, and regress to sin. Thankfully, he says, there is more to the journey. There is power over sin and growth in grace through deepening acquaintance with God. Reconciled with God, we may be restored to holiness by God's grace. A deeper, purer life is possible, bringing us to the sanctifying grace of Wesleyan Holiness teaching. Dr. Raymond's picture is of persons who are saved but stuck, a phrase we've mentioned before. He references their salvation and the transformation of their lives by saving grace. But then he describes their spiritual growth in grace coming to a halt and the journey ending in a picture of a carnal Christian. It is the same picture Paul uses to describe the Corinthian believers in 1 Corinthians 3, when he calls them babies in Christ who can only be fed milk. Then Raymond points to the unrealized possibility of holiness through sanctifying grace, which can bring power over sin and growth in grace and move them on in the journey. The following distinction will help us, and it represents the classic Wesleyan position on the subject. First, God's saving grace provides for our salvation by restoring our relationship to God. It brings forgiveness of sin, and it removes the guilt of sin. Second, God's sanctifying grace refers to the grace of God which is constantly active in a believer's life after he or she is saved. The Holy Spirit within the believer is the source of this grace which breaks the power of sin in the believer's life. Our study today continues our focus on the unique role that the awareness of sin plays in the life of holiness for a believer. This brings us to the heart of this lesson which is an exploration of the benefits of sanctifying grace for all believers. The key truth of this lesson, in other words, that sanctifying grace conquers sin, has already been introduced. It is the grace of God constantly active in a believer's life. This is cause for rejoicing for all believers. Because God's desire and provision for us is that the presence of Christ through the Holy Spirit will give us all we need to live for him every day. Because in his strength, we can do all things through Christ. And because we can live holy lives and be faithful disciples of Jesus as his spirit leads us. Now, we're going to examine several aspects of sanctifying grace so that we can appreciate the depth of God's provision for us. I want to stress that these aspects are not being presented as theological terms or divisions or definitions. Rather, they are pictures of God's grace that each are clear teachings from the New Testament. They are intertwined in meaning and overlapping in the beautiful ministry of God's Spirit working in us. They help us to unpack the meaning of the scriptures and to be blessed and encouraged by the richness of God's grace. We're going to begin with God's protecting grace. One of the great ministries of the Holy Spirit is to protect us. In 1 Thessalonians 3.3, Paul says, But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. That protection comes by means of the indwelling Holy Spirit. This is the depth of God's sanctifying grace, which can do what we can't do on our own. You probably are familiar with Philippians 2.13 where it says, it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his purpose. That's a great promise, and he wants to protect us, but we must seek his help. Here is where we start. Every day, many times a day, we seek to say yes to the Lord of our life. It's a matter of our will. Accepting grace and resisting sin are conscious and intentional decisions every day to make him Lord of our lives. Of course, the root of all sin is self. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Great Divorce, said, There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, Thy will be done, and those to whom God says, In the end, thy will be done." Perhaps one of the greatest threats we face in America is the delusion of self-sovereignty. Our society has so magnified individualism that even Christians can find a thousand ways to serve what Stan Key calls the unholy trinity, me, myself, and I. In our culture, It is difficult for Christians to deny self-rule, to disclaim independence, and to declare dependence upon God. Contrary to cultural beliefs, we are not sovereign. God is. And His grace will protect us and is available to us. But, What is taught in Philippians 2.13 can be transcribed as saying, we must be willing to be made willing. Have you ever seen a tag on a piece of clothing that says shrink resistant? Think about that for a moment. What does it mean to you? I admit, I asked my wife what it meant. But someone said it means that the shirt really doesn't want to shrink, but it might anyway. Could that be a fair description of the enticement of sin for believers? In our hearts, we really don't want to sin, but we are tempted in our human nature, and we might anyway. Be encouraged today that sanctifying grace conquers sin. God the Holy Spirit wants to protect us from temptation. Let's claim the promise of 1 Corinthians ten thirteen, And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Not only are we blessed with protecting grace, we also benefit from God's sustaining grace. Many Christians desire to serve the Lord faithfully, but are victimized by the insidious nature of the temptations we face every day. You'll remember the very first use of, the, of sin in the Bible, was Genesis 4-7 where God says to Cain, But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Of course, we all get caught up in the everyday business of life. We've all experienced it. Our guard falls down, and we are unknowingly vulnerable to spiritual attack. But praise the Lord, it is in those situations that His grace can sustain us. We need to be real about this, with each other and with God, about how desperately we need His strength. Remember, His strength is made perfect in our weakness. Good thing, huh? Listen to David Brooks' description in his book, The Road to Character of how sin and temptation can undermine and seduce us. He says, The danger of sin, in other words, is that it feeds on itself. Small moral compromises on Monday make you more likely to commit other bigger moral compromises on Tuesday. A person lies to himself and soon can no longer distinguish when he is lying to himself, and when he isn't. People rarely commit big sins out of the blue. They walk through a series of doors. They have an unchecked problem with drinking or drugs. Corruption breeds corruption. Sin is the punishment of sin. Friends, aren't you thankful that the Holy Spirit resides in us? and that sanctifying grace which he brings can sustain us even when we are not paying close enough attention. In our last lesson, we spoke of the constant choices we are making every day. The Holy Spirit within us guides us to live by his grace. Every decision we make includes both the positive redemptive act of living for God as well as the corresponding negative act of resisting sin. James 4.7 says, Rely upon God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I hope you are encouraged by this reminder of God's provision for us. His grace protects and sustains us. Here's another wonderful benefit for us to consider. God's restoring grace. One of the most common pictures of sin in the Bible is lostness. The idea behind it is that when we stray from God's will and make wrong choices, we can find ourselves wandering aimlessly, unable to find the way home. Of course, that's how we were when God's saving grace turned our lives upside down and delivered us from our lostness in terms of our relationship with him. God's heart of love demanded that he provide a way of salvation for us. So he sent his only son, Jesus, to die for us when we were lost in our sins. That same heart of love reaches out to restore us when we find ourselves lost strayed from the path of serving him. That amazing love prompts him to act when a Christian woman wanders away or a Christian man gets hopelessly lost in wrong places. You see, God's Holy Spirit is still present in that person's life. When she first accepted God's saving grace, she became his child. That's the true identity of every Christian, even in times when they seem lost. You and I are loved. Christ in you can lead you back home. And God's sanctifying grace can become restoring grace. Perhaps you've already thought of it, but I wrote down, how can we not think? of Jesus telling the parable of the prodigal son. Although the lost son is broken, penniless, and ashamed, we all remember how the father receives him with joy and celebrates his return. Isn't it wonderful to be reminded of his amazing grace? Perhaps some of you listening can remember a time when you wandered from the path When you experienced feeling lost, but His grace intervened. Perhaps there's a sense of that lostness right now in someone's life, at this very moment. If so, the Father waits with open arms, ready to restore you by His grace. Let me share a personal observation with you about restoring grace. My parents were active for many years in the ministry of rehabilitation from alcohol and drug addictions. How blessed I was to see that ministry up close and to witness many profound examples of restored lives. And the joy of that restoration for that person was as great as any miracle of God. But often those persons who were lost but now found had to deal with the ongoing results of their previous sins. Many times, loved ones and their families, who had been hurt repeatedly during the times of addiction, could not instantly forgive. It wasn't enough for them to hear that their loved one had found Jesus. They had been burned so many times before. The wounds were deep. But God's sanctifying grace can overcome barriers that seem impossible. I've rejoiced along with many a young man who experienced, first in his own life, and then eventually in God's time, in relationships with family members and friends that were broken, God's restoring grace. His grace in our lives as Christians protects us, sustains us, and restores us. I want to pause for a moment here and ponder the direct connection between today's lesson and the previous one. We began this two-part study by asking ourselves why sin is such a neglected topic today, even in the church. Those of you who joined us last time will recall that we asked about those youth leaders who didn't want to be called sinners saved by grace. They just wanted to be saved by grace. We considered the cultural pushback to the term sin and the climate of moral relativism that surrounds us. Eventually, however, we concluded that one of the great tools we have in our spiritual arsenal against the enemy is our constant awareness of the danger of sin. If we don't stay focused on the threat of sin, we will soon ignore it. And then we will fail to recognize it. And then we will become oblivious to it. I hope and pray that these two lessons complete the picture for you of sin, grace, and holiness. The very definition of holy living is to embrace God's living grace, sanctifying grace, and to resist sin. Both are important aspects of the same choice, to live spirit-led lives. Why? Because sanctifying grace conquers sin. If you care about making God first in your life, then you must be tuned in to the threat of sin. You see, the awareness of sin is our built-in alarm. The awareness of sin is the smoke alarm going off in the kitchen. The awareness of sin is the long gate coming down at the railroad crossing. But too many people drive around it, ignoring the threat of the coming train. The awareness of sin is the bright, prominently placed signs noting danger at the edge of the south rim of the Grand Canyon. Yet a few days after we visited that place in April of 2019, a woman fell to her death after ignoring the signs and getting too close To the edge. Friends, we ignore sin at our peril. The biblical pictures of sin become part of our daily consciousness because they point us to God's grace. Becoming more aware and wise about the threat that crouches at our door makes us correspondingly more confident in the power of His grace each day. Jesus said in Mark 2.17, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Because of the biblical picture of sin as sickness, we recognize the deep infection of sinful desires, and we seek instead, through sanctifying grace, the healing Jesus brings that protects us. The biblical picture of sin as lostness can be recognized by the believer in the paths that beckon us but would lead us to spiritual danger. We turn in the right direction by God's grace, which sustains and restores us. The biblical picture of sin as debt is powerful and speaks to us of our condition in terms of depleted resources and being left bankrupt. This debt we could never pay is canceled by the death and resurrection of Jesus. He paid it all. What a great thing it would be if every time a believer thought of sin, he or she was immediately reminded of God's grace. The truth is that the damage of sin is fully repaired by the miracle of grace. If the essence of sin is a broken relationship with God, the essence of holiness is a grace-restored right relationship. Thanks be to God. Let's look briefly at some other aspects of sanctifying grace. I want to mention one aspect of sanctifying grace fairly quickly. This is cleansing grace. A metaphor of sin is that of a dark stain. Sinners are impure, dirty, unclean, polluted. The defilement is so deep that no earthly soap can wash it away. We've all experienced that feeling as we've come to God with impurity in our hands and heart. What joy it brings to know that His promise is to keep cleansing us from all sin. 1 John 1 9, of course, says if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. We'll talk about forgiving in just a moment. But the most important part is that, and to keep cleansing us from all unrighteousness. That's a wonderful ongoing present tense in the original language, which means that it is an ongoing activity. Cleansing grace is at work all the time when we trust the Lord and seek to serve him. When the feelings of filth and dirtiness leave us with an overwhelming sense of shame, Jesus washes and cleanses us inside and out. Finally, there's a very important aspect of sanctifying grace. I want to call it growing grace. It is God's intention that we mature and grow in him. I heard a story about a little boy who one night fell out of his bed onto the floor. The next morning, his mother asked him why he fell out of the bed. And he said, I guess I stayed too close to the edge where I got in. That can happen to those of us who stay too close to our previous life and our previous desires. Listen to Ephesians 4, verses 14 to 16. Then we will no longer be infants. Actually, let me read uh, part of verse 13. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure, of the fullness of Christ, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. That passage speaks of those who are not growing in grace as infants. It also speaks of every part of the body of Christ working with each other. Interestingly, 1 Corinthians 8, 12 to 13 says, sin is causing your brother to stumble. And so when we don't grow, we are not only harming ourselves, but harming the body of Christ. This is such a wonderful truth. It has encouraged me down through my whole Christian life. Today can be the start of, of a wonderful, new, vibrant life with Christ, even if you are a Christian who has not been growing. You see, despite whatever shipwreck you may have made of your life, God has a perfect plan for you from this moment forward. He's the God of second chances. One word used in the Bible for sin literally means to miss the mark. The picture is of an archer taking aim and releasing his arrow, but missing his target. To sin is to miss the objective that God has given to us, to fail to reach his purposes and goals for us. When we miss the mark and fall short, Jesus forgives our botched attempts and gives us another chance. He will help us. He will grow us. He will mature us. Sanctifying grace is growing grace. How rich and full and enabling is the sanctifying grace of God? We've just touched a few aspects But it protects us. It's a grace that sustains us. It's a grace that restores us. It cleanses us. And it grows us into maturity. There are two additional matters I'd like to touch upon before we bring our lesson to a close. First, I would like to introduce you or reintroduce you to Dietrich Bonhoeffer's classic book that deals with grace, called *The Cost of Discipleship*. If you've not read it, I urge you to do so. If you have read it in the past, I urge you to re-read it. I think it is time for the church to allow it to speak to us again. I often hear Bonhoeffer's name, but much less than in my early ministry do I hear references to the incredible teaching in the cost of discipleship. Just allow me to introduce you to cheap grace and costly grace, to the tragedy of cheap grace and the call to costly grace. Chapter 1, the very beginning of the book, The cost of discipleship starts like this. Cheap grace is the deadly enemy of our church. We are fighting today for costly grace. As he goes on, he defines and explains the tragedy of cheap grace. He says cheap grace means the justification of of sin without the justification of the sinner so that grace alone does everything, they say, and so everything can remain as it was before. Sounds like the description of Dr. Raymond's disappointing person saved but stuck, doesn't it? I believe that Bonhoeffer's costly grace is sanctifying grace. Listen to what he says. It is costly because it condemns sin and grace because it justifies the sinner. Costly grace confronts us as a gracious call to follow Jesus. It comes as a word of forgiveness to the broken spirit and the contrite heart. Grace is costly because it compels a man to submit to the yoke of Christ and follow him. It is grace Because Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Just an encouraging word to discover or rediscover the cost of discipleship. I believe it speaks powerfully to us on our topic today. The second matter I would like to touch on is a topic that we're going to explore in the future certainly in the next sometime in the next few months there's great confusion i believe among christians some of it i think is caused by poor teaching about forgiveness many christians seem to expect the cycle in their life to be sinning and then seeking forgiveness. Christians seem to think that sinning requires forgiveness when what sinning really requires is repentance. I've become more and more convinced that there's a lot of poor and harmful thinking about sin and forgiveness among the church today. The call in the New Testament is a call to repentance. The word means to turn completely around and go in a different direction. Repentance is the antidote to sin for a Christian. Forgiveness is not the antidote to sin for a Christian. The confusion is that when we think of sin, too many Christians then think, oh dear, we've got to get that forgiven. So they confess sin, and they believe that the antidote to sin is forgiveness. Forgiveness does not conquer sin. It cancels the guilt of sin. Forgiveness produces gratitude. When we're forgiven, which happens outside of us in the sight of God, we can only thank Him and praise Him and express our gratitude for His forgiveness. It is repentance that is the antidote to sin. You see, repentance conquers sin, because turning our lives around and going in a new direction and serving God with our heart and experiencing sanctifying grace by resisting sin and embracing his grace produces accountability. It is the costly grace of which Bonhoeffer spoke. I think it is a topic worth addressing and will do so sometime in the near future. I think it is appropriate for us to end where we began. Listen again to Dr. Jonathan Raymond. Sadly, too often the journey comes to a halt. People saved from sin get busy in the church. If salvation means getting saved from sin in order to get to heaven, then faith becomes a bus-stop religion. There is no further progression. We remain immature and underdeveloped as we wait for God's glory bus to heaven. Carnality reigns as we become victims of old habits. We surrender to temptation and regress to sin. Thankfully, there is more to the journey. There is power over sin and growth in grace through deepening acquaintance with God. Reconciled with God, we may be restored to holiness by God's acquainting grace. A deeper, purer life is possible, bringing us to the sanctifying grace of our holiness teaching. Sanctifying grace conquers sin. It's the way we are accountable to God and it's the way he has chosen and provided for us to serve him in the power of his Holy Spirit. It's been great to be with you on the Holiness Podcast and I will look forward to sharing with you again next month. May the Lord bless you and keep you safe in his care and his hands. Bye for now. Thanks so much for listening, and we'd love to hear from you. Share your thoughts, questions, or prayer requests. Visit us at salvationarmysoundcast.org slash holiness. And if you're enjoying this Bible study, share it with a friend they can subscribe wherever they get their podcasts.